It's 11.30 here at KRVN, which means it's time for midday. On this foggy Tuesday, the second day of February, thanks for making the Rural Voice of Nebraska a part of your day. Now, it's foggy if you're from North Platte East. If you're North Platte West, it's sunny and already almost 60 degrees in the Kimball area. They're 58 right now. I'm Tyler Cavallo. We've got a jam-packed house here at the KRVN Studios. Here for Jason Jorgensen in sports in just a couple of minutes. Bob Brogan will tell us how stocks are doing. But let's turn things over to Susan Littlefield and uh, some big news in terms of the ag world and Tom Vilsack today. Yeah, he's right now being questioned by the uh, Senate Ag Committee. And actually, as I left the office, Deb Fisher was, Senator Fisher was asking him some questions. They were talking land-grant universities, so it'll be interesting Mm. to see. Um, We'll have his comments coming up at 1245, but you know today's Groundhog's Day, right? That's what I've heard. And that was his opening statement. It's Groundhog's Day. I'm back, (laughs) which I thought was kind of appropriate considering that he's in for round number two. So Mm -hmm. they've asked him some tough questions, but he, on a virtual standpoint, he's not sitting in the Senate committee um, questioning room. Oh, wow. So they're doing this virtual. There there is senators in there, but he's not. He's in his office. And Senator Fisher was in her office. So Well, he's been through this process before, so I'm sure he's been kind of ready for this. Yeah. A hologram probably would have worked just as good. Sure. What else do you have for us today? Well, 1219, we're going to hear about the Dawson County Cattlemen's Annual Banquet that is coming up this Saturday. And as I mentioned, Tom Vilsack will be on at 1245. And then at 117, Mark Elberts, he's with the Central Platte Rangeland. They had their annual meeting. We'll get a recap on that and also about prescribed burns. So that's a midday for me. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate it. Yep. Let's turn over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. What do you have for us today? Husker men, they're uh, back practicing again. Of course, they were off for quite a while due to COVID. Uh, 15 out of their uh, 30 people in their party caught it, including head coach uh, Fred Hoiberg. He said they had a pretty de- uh, bad case of that, but uh, they're trying to get ready in a short amount of time to play a basketball game on Saturday in Michigan State. I have to wonder what that does for them, their legs, and just basketball ready when you've been off for half a month, basically. They, they, they won't be ready, but they're going to try to do the best they can do. We'll get coaches' thoughts on that. It's it's, it's a bad deal, but mm-hmm. what it is, like he said, the only good thing is they, they don't think they should have to deal with it going forward because just about all of them got it and had to deal with that. Also, we'll talk about high school basketball. Of course, the big FKC tournament is uh, going on. Girls' quarterfinals were last night. Boys' quarterfinals tonight. If you'd like to catch the Loomis-Overton game, you can catch that on our sister station, 96.9 KUVR. We will have the semifinals of the tournament and the finals Thursday, Friday, and Saturday here on 880 KRVN. And you have high school basketball action tonight in Lexington. as an old, old former Southwest Conference rival, Broken Bow visits Lexington. Broken Bow playing well, especially the girls as of late. Only one loss. Uh, real quick, if you're a big NCAA football game fanatic, they're bringing that back. EA Sports just announced that today. I see that. The only issue is I only have a PS2. <laughs> I don't think they can go back that late. <laughs> I don't think so either, Tyler. You may have to upgrade there, Jason. Let's go over to Bob Brogan. And uh, Bob, how are stocks doing so far? Major indexes are higher. Uh, looks like folks have uh, kind of turned away from GameStop stop right now and uh, turned to some precious metals, but uh, also uh, things are kind of cool in that area as well. But uh, right now, um, we'll at this station.
On the next Rural Radio Forum, we learn how businesses and entities adapted and overcame the worldwide pandemic in the past year. We'll tell stories of success, perseverance, and people who made lemonade out of the 2020 sour lemons. From macro to micro levels, people of the Great Plains learn to carry on through the COVID crisis. Brought to you by the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program. Join us for the next Rural Radio Forum, February 9th at 3 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Herford.org. Time for regional ag weather update, and Paul Perkins has stepped in. And well, Paul Punxsutawney Phil has saw his uh, his shadow, which means uh, we have apparently six more weeks of winter. But do local uh, groundhogs override Punxsutawney Phil for our weather? Well, here's it's an interesting <laughs> question though that you pose because someone had commented on our KRVN Facebook post about Punxsutawney Phil, and someone asked it. Paul see his shadow. Which, no, I did not. <laughs> very good. That's all that matters, I think, if Paul saw his shadow this morning when you woke up. Because I think you matter more here than we don't care about some little varmint in the uh, eastern part of the United yeah, it's States. It's way off to the east, and it's been cloudy here, so yes. Uh, what does he know? The spring is around the corner. Let's hey, see. all right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Paul did not see his shadow, or it, did see his shadow. No, I did not did see not his shadow. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess... Because he sees his shadow, that scares him back into the hole. That's I always wondered why. Why does sunshine mean it's a bad thing for spring to be soon? But yeah. it's because it's uh, he sees his shadow and it scares him back in his hole. And I believe it was snowing this morning when he saw it. So I, I don't <laughs> understand how that worked, but whatever. Yeah, how can he even see his shadow then? <laughs> There's no shadows there. <laughs> They're being negative in Punxsutawney, I guess. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we got we got our own Paul Perkins, who uh, again it says uh, spring is near. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for, anyhow. And it's definitely spring-like already in mm-hmm. the southwest Nebraska panhandle, already up to 60 degrees mm-hmm. in Kimball. Mm-hmm. That compares with 23 right now in northeast Nebraska down to the Omaha area. And most of us in central and eastern areas of Nebraska in the mid to upper 20s and locked in with some clouds and fog. But the fog definitely has lifted towards west-central Nebraska into northwest Kansas and Temperatures already into the uh, mid and upper 30s right now towards North Platte and Imperial, but some 40s in the Nebraska Sand Hills, also over northwest Kansas, 50s into northeast Colorado, and currently that clearing line to about the Ainsworth area to west of uh, Broken Bow, just about to North Platte. They have sunny skies in North Platte, and McCook still kind of locked in some clouds, but it's not too far off on that clearing there. And uh, much of northwest Kansas, mainly clear. And then, once again, the clouds persisting somewhat over northern Kansas, north-central Kansas. We just can't shake this fog. It feels yeah. like we get one day uh, per week of sun, and the rest <laughs> has been fog. Exactly, and especially for some east-central and eastern areas in Nebraska yesterday, locked in some clouds and mm-hmm. fog. And once again, that's going to be the case for today. But it looks like better chances of sunshine for tomorrow. Central and east Nebraska will remain on the cloudy and foggy side into this afternoon with the clouds and fog persisting. That dense fog advisory expected to last until noon for central and eastern areas. Now farther to the south and west of central Nebraska, skies will be sunny to partly cloudy as a ridge of high pressure continues to build onto the plains. Temperatures ranging today from 10 degrees cooler than normal in central and east Nebraska to as much as 20 degrees above normal in the panhandle. Sunshine a little more widespread tomorrow as that high-pressure ridge builds a lot further to the east for our mildest day of the next seven. So if you're going to get outside over the next seven days, make sure it's tomorrow. A cold front ushers in gusty north winds for tomorrow night into Thursday. 
Some light precipitation is possible, beginning as some rain, then transitioning to a wintry mix, and later on some snow. Total snow amounts should mostly range from a dusting to a half inch. Locations along and north of Highway 92 may see snowfall amounts of an inch or two. Something to watch, there is one forecast bottle indicating the snowfall potential of 1 to 3 inches for locations along and north of Interstate 80. Friday will be a dry day and seasonal in-between systems. This weekend into Monday, that's when we're going to see the coldest air of the season. That will drop our daytime highs into the teens and overnight lows to near zero. Wind chills will be the coldest on Saturday night and likely to average between 15 and 25 below. A little light snow is possible with this weekend's cold, and the amounts right now looking to be rather light. But with the cold there, it won't take much for that snow to fluff up for some accumulation. In the long-term forecast, below normal temperatures will continue for Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. from Monday through February 15th. The coldest days of the period for Nebraska and Kansas look to be early next week. During the early half of February in central Nebraska, our average daytime highs are in the low 40s with average overnight lows starting to moderate into the upper teens. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation is predicted for Monday through the 15th for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors affecting the markets include a rain benefit to Argentina's crop conditions and periods of rain in the future for Brazil. Behind the nor'easter affecting the east coast, freezes tomorrow morning may extend into northern sections of Florida's citrus belt. A storm currently affecting the northwest U.S. will push to the east, delivering wind-driven snow across the upper Mississippi Valley and the upper Great Lakes by Thursday into Friday. The most significant cold outbreak of the season will trail the storm with widespread sub-zero temperatures arriving across the northern plains and upper Midwest during the weekend and persisting into next week. High winds and blowing snow may accompany the Midwestern blast of frigid air with wintry weather returning across the northeast U.S. during the weekend. Dry weather will prevail the next five days in wheat areas of the southern plains. Dry conditions remain a primary concern for the wheat crop. Brazil crop areas expect periods of rain this week with moderate to heavy amounts over central crop areas. The rains will delay the soybean harvest and continue the slow start of planting of second crop corn. For central Argentina, conditions have improved after moderate to heavy rain the past several weeks. Scattered rain will continue through tomorrow and be followed by dry weather for next week. So after tomorrow, things are going to be fairly lousy until maybe early next week or late next week. But uh, when do we, we, can we expect maybe some warmer than average temperatures in our area? That's probably It's going to be beyond that 14-day forecast right now yeah. because, yeah, colder than normal temperatures all the way through the 15th here, it looks mm-hmm. like. And, uh, again, it, it'll be the worst of it early next week, uh, especially this weekend into about Monday and Tuesday, then find a, a little moderation by the mid to late part of next week. Well, I suppose we really haven't had those couple of days where it's just been brutally bone-chilling cold. I, we've had some, but I, this is the time of year we're going to get those. Exactly. And usually you kind of see it in January, but so usually the, the brunt of any cold in February where it's usually not as bad since our average daytime highs are right around 40 by this time of year. Okay. All right. Uh, for more weather information, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. And this Saturday at the Cozad Elks Club, it's the Dawson County Cattlemen's Annual Banquet. Joining me now on the Rural Radio Network is Dawson County Cattlemen's President Jonathan Garwood. And Jonathan, give us the rundown. What's going to be happening this Saturday at the annual Dawson County Cattlemen's Banquet? Yeah, Clay and listeners, I just want to let you guys know that we are going ahead with our Dawson County Cattlemen's Banquet at the Elks Club. 
in Conrad. Social hour starts at 6 and the meal at 7. Tickets are at the door. This year we are going to have a nationally known comedian, Jay Hindern, and would like to see everybody come out for a great turnout at the Dawson County Annual Banquet. We are going to go ahead and announce somebody new into the Hall of Fame this year. I guess one other note is uh, we'll be trying to practice social distancing as well. The Hall of Fame inductee is always such a special moment there at the Dawson County Cattlemen's Annual Banquet, and I've had the opportunity to attend several in the past. And kind of give us an overview. What is the committee looking for? What is the person for the Hall of Fame? Are they nominated by the, their local community? How does the Hall of Fame work? The board of directors and some other individuals kind of get together every year, and we try to pick someone that's been an influence in the cattle industry throughout the county over a period of time and just really had an influence and use and in the cattle industry in Dawson County. And we try to highlight them one every year. Always exciting to see someone honored in their local community, not only for their tireless and timeless giving back to it, but as well just being an innovator in the cattle industry. Now, Jonathan, with the Dawson County Cattlemen, you guys go out and beyond just an annual banquet. You try to host monthly meetings, and one thing you do is that you host it around the the county just to try and showcase the different areas of the county because it kind of changes when you go from North and Sumner around the northern part of the county down towards Farnham and the southern part of the county. So going forward, do you plan on continuing those monthly meetings and kind of what's that plan for 21? Yeah, Clay, we are going to continue with our monthly meetings that we spread throughout the county. And we try to address certain topics in the cattle industry from the feedlot to the cow-calf. I believe there's four more meetings coming forth in the spring of 2021. So uh, look for either postcards or announcements or check us out on Facebook and we'll give you updates. They're usually the first Thursday of every month. Now, one thing I've noticed at the monthly meetings is that a lot of times uh, members of the uh, Nebraska Cattlemen's Association and others, they'll be in attendance. Any dignitaries that you expect to be attending for the annual banquet coming up this Saturday again in COZAD? I'm not for sure yet, just on who might be able to show up. Um, a lot of that has to do with the whole COVID-19 situation. Uh, Jonathan, we've gotten a lot of information out. Again, the banquet happening this Saturday at the Cozad Elks Club there in Cozad, Nebraska. As we start to close out our interview, Jonathan, any final or closing thoughts for us? Can't think of too many. Just one more announcement. I mean, if you don't have tickets yet, um, you can get them at the door. Look forward to seeing everybody at the Cozad Elks. That is Jonathan Garwood, president of the Dawson County Cattlemen's Association, talking about their annual banquet, which is coming up again this Saturday at the Cozad Elks Club. After our interview, Jonathan reached back out and said he did miss one thing, and that is to say a big thank you to all of the sponsors as well as all the volunteers that helped put on the banquet this year and helped to continue to put on the monthly meetings and other outreach events that the Dawson County Cattlemen uh, continue to do. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has now stepped in. and Well, Husker men's basketball finally in the near future will be returning to the hardwood. 
Yeah, they are practicing. They started this weekend. They hope to be able to play on Saturday against Michigan State. Head coach Fred Hoiberg was asked today if he ever thought of shutting things down for the rest of the year. No, that 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 was never discussed. We we felt uh, you know we we communicated with the Big Ten throughout this whole process, and that that was an important part of it. Uh, it's going to be hard, you know, as we continue to schedule these games. It's good that we have, I believe, the next four scheduled now. You know, the good thing now with it having gone through our entire team, I think we only have one or two now that haven't had it. Uh, we should be able to play all the way through the end of the season, you know, obviously barring a shutdown by our opponent. That is one positive. Uh, 15 of the 30 members uh, had it at <laughs> one point it, or right. another, so it, it ran rampant. They haven't played since January 10th. They are 4-8 and eight on the year. Matt Lubick is staying in Lincoln. The Husker offensive coordinator and receivers coach was the top candidate for the head coaching job at Montana State, but he turned it down to remain on Scott Frost's staff. That's according to the Lincoln Journal-Star. Lubick interviewed for the job on Saturday and emerged as a top candidate. However, he would have had to have taken a sizable pay cut from his current $500,000 salary to move to Bozeman. $500,000 in Lincoln goes a lot further than 200000 would go in Bozeman. Is that what he was going to get? Was yeah, around two hundred thousand. That's what the last coach had. Now, of course, there was bonuses in camps that right. bumped him up so around three hundred. But yeah, that that's a lateral move at best. Besides the pay, which obviously that's a lot of that's a lot of money to lose. Is it a little shocking that he didn't take that? Mm, I don't. I don't know. So I, I don't have a read on that. Mm. Uh, you know, it's always nice to be wanted. Right. Of course. Of course. Husker softball team claimed two of the three Big Ten preseason player of the year accolades from D1 softball. Outfielder Tristan Edwards was tabbed as a preseason Big Ten player of the year, and freshman pitcher utility player Caitlin Neal was selected as a preseason newcomer of the year. And the Major League Baseball Players Association has won their scheduling battle with the owners. MLB will proceed with the on-time start to spring training and the season. The owners are looking to push things back, mm-hmm. cut the games from 162 to 154. My guess is this was probably a cost-saving measure, and the union said, no, we'll, we'll be there to play. No, they said, we want to play, <laughs> we're going to do it, and uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I'm glad they're starting on time. It makes sense. They ended last year okay. Right. I, I don't think things are worse. You have the NFL, who's going to complete a full season coming up this Sunday. You have the NBA, NHL, who jumped right back into it. So I don't see why you can't at least try. There's probably some uh, hidden agenda behind that. There always is. There always is. (laughs) Bet Sports for more. Find it anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much. Your health, your life. Time for midday news as Dave Schroeder has now stepped in and Dave, how are you doing so far? Hey, doing good today. It's a beautiful day, despite what you might see outside, but uh, it's a day to get things done and uh, enjoy life. That's right. Things could always be worse. That's right. Uh, Well, what can you tell us about what's happening in Lincoln as we're talking about the helmet law? Yeah, former Senator Dave Bloomfield was in a familiar place yesterday, or today actually, arguing in favor of doing away with Nebraska's motorcycle helmet law. Bloomfield told the legislature's Transportation and Telecommunications Committee this morning that freedom is more than enough reason to toss the law into the dustbin of history. But there are other arguments. Sometime later this year, you will be asked to increase funding for tourism development. Yet this very law that we are asking to be repealed chases away a great number of tourists each year. When I was carrying this bill, 
We did a lot of research on what it's costing us. We're losing thousands of visitors and millions, if not tens of millions, in sales and revenue. The LB 581 was introduced by Senator Ben Hansen of Blair, who has said in the past that when he rides his motorcycle, he wears a helmet, but he doesn't want to make the decision for the rest of Nebraska. The bill would remove the helmet required for riders 21 and over and who have completed a rider safety course. The annual Dawson County Cattlemen's Banquet will be this Saturday evening, beginning at 7 p.m. at the Cozad Elks Club. Jay Herndon, America's Funniest Farmer, will be on hand to entertain. Their traditional cattleman program will include recognition of honorees to the Dawson County Cattlemen Hall of Fame. Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley will also be in attendance. As vaccines continue to be administered, the University of Nebraska Medical Center continues to answer questions about how the vaccine works and being very transparent about the shot to ease the public's mind. Jasmine Marslin with UNMC's College of Medicine answers the question whether or not the vaccine gives the patient COVID-19. Neither the Pfizer nor Moderna vaccine can give a person COVID-19 because they do not contain the live viral particles from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. However, you can develop side effects from the vaccine that can feel pretty unpleasant with fevers, body aches, and chills. And that's because of the immune system recognizing the vaccine components. These side effects are temporary and usually resolve within 12 hours or so, and not everyone experiences them. Marcelin also says patients may experience injection site soreness and tenderness like any other vaccine for a couple of days. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder reporting on KRBN. Naloxone is a drug used to safely reverse an opioid overdose and is now more readily available in Nebraska. I'm Dr. Rob Rhodes, a Nebraska family practice physician. I encourage you to learn how to respond to an opioid overdose and administer naloxone to potentially save a life by getting the free Opie Rescue app for your phone. Be Opie ready. Download Opie Rescue. Paid for by the CDC. Sponsored by the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services and aired in cooperation with the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this station. The nomination hearing is underway for Tom Vilsack of Iowa to once again be Secretary of Agriculture. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the Ag Secretary's opening statements, he made a little play on words with what today is. It's not lost on me, uh, ironically, that this is Groundhog's Day, uh, and I realize that uh, I'm back again. Uh, But I also realize that this is a fundamentally different time, uh, and I am a different person. Uh, and it is a different department. Uh, and I think we have to uh, recognize that uh, going into this process. Um, when I was uh, getting involved in politics, I followed uh, uh, Robert Kennedy uh, and uh, sort of modeled uh, my, my views uh, after his. And he often challenged us to think about uh, why not. He used to quote um, uh, the quote that uh, some people look at things as they are and say why, and others dream of things that never were and say why not. Uh, I think we are faced today uh, with a number of why not opportunities and moments in agriculture, uh, in the food industry, uh, and in rural America. Clearly, uh, COVID is on the minds of everyone, as it should be. And the Department of Agriculture has a responsibility to aggressively promote the nutrition assistance that you all have provided, and they have begun to do that uh, in the last week to 10 days. 
Vilsack said there was also the need to move what Congress has requested when it comes to COVID relief funding for those in agriculture and also for those that work on the lines. We need to make sure that our workers, our essential workers on the line, uh, in the farm fields, uh, in processing facilities and alike uh, are protected uh, and recognized as the essential workers they are. And we certainly need to work uh, collaboratively with the Congress and others uh, to build back the rural economy in better shape than it was before the COVID uh, crisis. And one area that he has been an advocate for has been food securities for all Americans. Uh, And also uh, a why not moment on nutrition insecurity uh, that causes millions of Americans, especially people of color, uh, to cope with obesity and diabetes and other chronic diseases. I think we can create a food system that makes healthy and nutritious food more available, more convenient and more affordable to all Americans. We are in a why uh, not moment in terms of the openness and competitiveness of our markets. Uh, The reality is we lack openness, fairness and competitiveness and resiliency as the COVID-19 crisis has shown in many of our agricultural markets. And during questioning from senators, Nebraska U.S. Senator Deb Fisher talked about the uniqueness of agriculture in Nebraska and had a pointed question for the Ag Secretary. Would you expand on how innovations in agriculture will drive precision livestock and crop production and continue our nation's global leadership role in feeding and fueling the world? Well, uh, happy to do that. Whether it's our consumers here in the U.S. or our efforts to try to export uh, overseas, I can tell you we are facing competition on not just the quality, not just the safety, not just the taste, not just the price. We're also now facing competition on whether or not whatever it is we're selling has been sustainably produced. So to the extent that we can make the case uh, to the world that what's being raised, what's being grown, what's being sold outside the U.S. is being raised and grown in the most sustainable, uh, animal-friendly environments, we can make the case uh, and provide a market advantage uh, to the U.S. So innovation becomes critically important. Uh, the, the President Obama, uh, President Biden has a, has a vision uh, of a zero emission agriculture. And I will tell you, if we reach that vision by 2050, the goal that he set, uh, as we're reaching it, it will give us a, an incredible competitive advantage in the world markets because people are hungry for this. Uh, But we won't be able to do this without innovation. We won't be able to do it without precision agriculture. We won't be able to do it without a true commitment to soil health and regenerative practices. We won't be able to do it without uh, organic playing a role. We won't be able to do it without um, a technology that converts agricultural waste into a variety of products so that we move away from an extraction economy we've had in the past to a more circular or more regenerative economy. That's the goal. And if we do that, Senator, I guarantee you, we will be we, we will be able to sell our product anywhere in the world. If we don't do it, we're going to have trouble selling it anywhere in the world. How important is our role of our land-grant universities in all of this in trying to um, complement the efforts of the USDA? Well, uh, it's funny you mentioned that land-grant. This is a, a 1863 report of uh, the Commission of Agriculture. was part of the Interior Department. It's the first report from the Commissioner of Agriculture uh, to Abraham Lincoln. If you read the preface of this of that document, 600 pages about agriculture in the United States, 
you you would be surprised how much similarity there is between that period of time in 1863 and now and the critical role that education the Langrand University system that was launched in 1862 um, and the need for research and innovation has in providing uh, more profitability, more opportunity for farmers, ranchers, producers, and people who, who live in rural America. Those are just a few of the questions and comments that came from the hour plus questioning of Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack as he's hoping to be reappointed once again to that role. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. Distributing.com. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Sometimes you just want to know the whys of the day's markets. And our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you the chance to ask the marketing experts. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell, Monday through Friday, as we dig deeper into the factors that shape the day's market activity. The Fontenelle Final Bell, weekdays at 217, right here on Rural Radio 880 KRVN. Good news. KRVN is now available on your voice-activated smart speaker. Log into Amazon and search KRVN to enable our skill. Ask your device to open KRVN, and Alexa will take it from there. With the business report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Major U.S. indexes are broadly higher on Wall Street, while GameStop and other stocks that have been on wild swings recently have turned sharply lower. The S&P 500 added 1.7%, building on its gains from a day earlier. GameStop sank 50% in the early going in its latest bout of extreme volatility, and AMC Entertainment fell 40%. Big tech companies were among the early winners, as were several energy companies, including ExxonMobil and Marathon Petroleum, both of which reported better results than analysts were expecting. UPS rose after reporting record revenue. Treasury yields rose, as did crude oil prices. Drug maker Pfizer, the first company to get U.S. emergency use authorization for a COVID-19 vaccine, swung to a small profit in the fourth quarter as it started shipping vaccine doses. Pfizer said it expects roughly $15 billion this year in revenue from the two-dose vaccine. It won emergency clearance in mid-December from U.S. regulators and continues to stack up approvals in other countries and is in high demand as the global pandemic surges. A surge in online shopping helped UPS post record revenue during the last three months of 2020. UPS and other delivery companies have benefited as more people shop online during the pandemic and avoid going to physical stores. Not only was the Atlanta company working to deliver gifts during the holiday season, but it also started shipping COVID-19 vaccines at the same time. U.S. average retail price for regular gasoline rose to $2.41 a gallon on Monday. That's up 1.7 cents from a week ago based on the weekly price survey by the U.S. Energy Information Administration for the Rural Radio Network. 
Good afternoon. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. And last week I had the opportunity to attend the annual banquet and meeting of the Central Platte Range Land Alliance, a group of landowners, farmers and ranchers and others who are working to try and curb the tide of the eastern red cedar, which continues to take up valuable forage land across much of central Nebraska. They're doing this with controlled and prescribed burns. I had the opportunity to talk with President of the Central Platte Range Land Alliance, Mark Alberts, following the meeting. 21 years ago, you had a fire. A lot of people were nervous. A lot of people were curious what's happening. But now, uh, a good turnout here tonight and a growing burn group. That's got to be exciting to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. People that were real anti-burn 21 years ago are now leaders in the group. And obviously, battling the eastern red cedar, something that it doesn't take long looking in central Nebraska to realize the infestation that we're trying to beat back a little bit and take some rangeland back into production. Have you seen those positive results 21 years later? How much more forage and things are you having on the pastures that you started with? Uh, We'll see an increase in forage within two years of a burn. Um, But unfortunately, uh, the, the trees are still keep coming. Uh, we call it the Green Glacier. It is that slow and eternal kid just continue moving forward and everyone working together. But seeing the group come together tonight, a lot of positive discussion moving forward, trying to upgrade equipment and, and trying to get people more involved. Do you continue the group to, or do you expect the group or think the group will continue growing with this type of uh, participation? Oh, absolutely. We, we get people, we get new people every year and nobody quits. That is the important thing. And I think the important thing here to realize, too, is with all of this, this is a volunteer organization. So when folks have burns, it's all volunteer manpower. No one's getting paid. And folks, their memberships have paid in the, into the group. But, I mean, you have multiple trucks and things. So really, it, it is a everyone benefits from everyone else's help. Absolutely. Uh, I, I got to give a shout out to the agencies that have helped helped us out. Um, they've helped us. I think we've made them look good and the landowner wins in the end. Exactly. And there are cost share programs available. We talked with Jeff Nichols with NRCS. Be listening for that interview as well. Going forward, it looks like it's going to be an active spring and maybe even some summer burns. Yes, we tried two summer burns last year in August, and they were very successful. We was very pleased with the results. So you're trying to come up with some guidelines to give people a better idea if they haven't participated with a prescribed burn on things to have ready, how to participate and help with the group. So what would be your biggest advice for someone that says, I have a lot of eastern red cedar, we need to do something, maybe prescribed burn is the way to go. What is that first step they need to take? First step they need to go is probably talk to the NRCS. There's cost share available, uh, there's deferment, cost available. Uh, it's an inconvenience, but it's worth it in the long run. You know, and we talked about volunteers. If somebody wants to help just to see a controlled burn in action, can they go along and do that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we like to have people come along, and, and they don't have to participate. They can just ride along in a four-wheeler or side-by-side just to just to watch. Most, most everybody that watches is very impressed. Learning a lot about uh, prescribed fire and how it's benefiting those in central Nebraska. Mark, before we wrap up our conversation, things that you want to maybe overlooked in our conversation or final closing thoughts for us? The cedars, they're just, they're very invasive. They'll grow a foot a year, and by the time they're six feet tall, they're uh, producing seed. Very prolific. Uh, it just keep, further compounds the problem. That again is Mark Alberts. He's president of the Central Platte Rangeland Alliance and bringing us more information from their annual meeting last week held in Gothenburg. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. For On Highway.
Clay Patton with a market update on the Rural Radio Network. Typically, we talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing during this time. However, he is currently traveling today and unavailable. We will be able to talk to him once again tomorrow. Grains turn to the red here as we continue the week's trade. Following yesterday's suit, we continue to show that it's reflective of price action in the U.S. currency as the currency moved higher. As for corn and soybeans, playing a lot is what continues to happen in South America, keeping a close eye on both the supply and the demand side. China notably out of the market the last two days after making large purchases last week, consuming, if they were to take delivery of it, nearly 15% of the U.S.'s currently carryout stocks from the January WASD. Now, noting that WASD report, we will see USDA and the World Outlook Board release their latest supply and demand estimates a week from today, February the 9th. Now, corn price continues to move or trained back and forth, but we seem to find more support at $5. Now, the Brazil's corn production will be coming back around with the Safrina corn crop. However, they have to get a lot of the soybeans out of the field before they can come in with that next corn rotation. That has been slowed. Ag rule quoted at the end of last at the end of January that uh, Brazil's corn harvest only about 1.9% complete, the slowest start it's had in the last 10 years. As for Argentina, it could be weather that deters part of their corn crop as it's going to be moving into the critical pollination and other reproductive phases over the next 60 days, and they continue to experience hot and dry weather over much of Argentina. Now, as for China, currently with last week's 230 million bushel purchase, they have nearly 700 million bushels of corn sitting on the books bought from the U.S. They've only taken delivery of about a third of that or a little over 210 million bushels. So going forward, that means there's still a lot that they could cancel to try and persuade and sway the market. So there's still a lot of timing left to be done and follow through with this. But this leaves USDA's job harder next week as to what does it do with U.S. carryout stocks of corn? What does it do with U.S. export expectations of corn? Now, they did trim 10 million bushels in their previous report. They're likely to give that back in this one. But then what do they do with ethanol given tightening stocks of U.S. corn and continue? But they're corn ethanol could be being supported by the fact that you see crude oil coming back around as OPEC meeting over the next couple days where they're likely to tighten down some of their product or continue to keep production tight coming from oil. So if that continues to support ethanol, where does the corn go? Then that could find more follow through support. So a lot of unanswered questions still to come back around. And of course, as always, weather in South America is still critical and important here for the next couple month or so before we really start seeing any planting type action here in the U.S. So a lot still to still a lot to look forward to but today we see more red on the screen for the grain complex higher though in the livestock trade again john payne senior marketing analyst with daniel zag marketing in chicago will be back with us tomorrow afternoon all right thank you very much clay that'll wrap up midday here on this tuesday if you miss anything from midday you can listen to our podcast sponsored by devenny motors at krvn.com